Amen. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them to the Gospel of Luke, the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And as you're turning in your Bibles, I would just like to share a little bit (coughs) about who I am. I have been a long life friend, many years, with Dr. Philip Jett, whom I assume that most of all of you know. He's the father-in-law of your pastor, Brother Lyle. And uh, I've been a missionary now for 46 years. And I was with the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention for 26 of those years. I worked with the North American Mission Board, the Home Mission Board in Washington, D.C. And I served in Brazil for almost 20 years. And it was there we developed a ministry called Pioneer Evangelism. I was went to the state of Minas Gerais, uh, which is about the size of Texas, and we had 180 preachers when I was went there in 1983, but we needed to start about a thousand churches. So the question was, how do you start a thousand churches with only 180 preachers? And the vast majority of them are bivocational. They're having jobs. They're working all the week. They have their families. They're pastoring churches. So how do you start another thousand? And so God just laid it on my heart. He said, you know, we've got all these people coming to church every Sunday. They go back home. They come back to church. They go back home 52 weeks of the year. And if you could train them, they already got jobs. They're plumbers. They're housewives. They're school teachers. They're electricians. They're lawyers. They're teachers. If they could just go out on a weekend like a Saturday or a Sunday and devote some time to go to a new city or a town or a village or a neighborhood, they could start all the churches. And so God laid on my heart that the key to world evangelism was not us preachers, but it's the layperson, the person who comes to church, if he can only be trained and equipped. And so God laid on my heart to write a, write a strategy out on how to train our laity to start churches from nothing. You get on a bus, you go down to the next town, get off the bus, you have no money in your pocket, all you got is a Bible in your hand. What would you do to start a church? And really, you've got about a fourth grade education, and all you have is a Sunday school knowledge of the Bible, but you know Jesus, and the Holy Spirit lives in your heart. And so I wrote the answer to that question out and began to train. And I won't go into the long history, but we trained literally over 5,000, and we started over 750 Baptist congregations and churches just in our state alone. Dr. Jett came down with Gary Taylor, and we started building little worship centers and chapels. We built over 102 of those. And this is the training manual. This is the Bengali copy. This is an Indian copy. I just got back from India Friday. And I drove up here yesterday, so my body clock is on the other side of the world right now. But this is the training manual that we use. It's called Pioneer Evangelism. But anyway, in year 2000, the International Mission Board asked my wife and I to leave Brazil and do this teaching all over the world. And so now we've been in 69 different nations of the world, training over 60,000 pastors and leaders around the world in this strategy called Pioneer Evangelism. So I wanted to come and share with you today a message on mission. So take your Bibles, if you would, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. And uh, this is going to be a very quick message, a very fast-moving message. I hope that you won't get bored. But I wanted to share with you how to be a great commissioned church, how to be a mission-minded church, and how to be a mission-minded individual and have a mission-minded uh, uh, 
family. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, we see a story here where a lawyer came to Jesus and wanted to know what he had to do to be saved. Look in verse 25. And Jesus said, well, what's written in the law? And what Jesus is saying here is, hey, look at the Ten Commandments. And basically what Jesus is trying to teach him is, you cannot save yourself. You're never going to be good enough to obey all the laws all the time. You're going to break something somewhere along the line. And that makes you a sinner. And so then he says, well, you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, of course, that's true in the cold context of what salvation is. It is loving God. It is loving our, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ because He comes into our heart. We trust Him as our only Lord and Savior. Then He asked this one interesting question. Who is my neighbor? Now, I believe this story here illustrates not how to get saved, but it illustrates what a saved person will look like. And he, Jesus tells us what is going to happen in your life after you have been, after you've received Christ, after you have eternal life, and He's going to, you will have a mission-minded heart to be concerned about your neighbor. So He asks this question: Who is my neighbor? So He tells a story. What we know him as a good as a good Samaritan, and here was a guy. He's walking down the road from Jerusalem, going down to Jericho. It's about 15 miles downhill, and he gets beat up by some robbers. And then he's on the side of the road, he's half naked, and then a priest comes up. And I want you to picture this in your mind. This guy's out there, he's been beaten to a pup, he's black and blue, and here comes the preacher. And the preacher says, oh man, i got to hope, this guy's going to help me. And the priest looks down at him, there we see in verse 30, and he just passes him by. Well, the old poor fellow sitting on the side of the road again. He says, oh, my goodness, here comes another guy. Verse 32, he's a Levite. Now, a Levite is the priest's helper, like the assistant pastor. He says, well, now hope is coming down the road. Now I'm going to have a chance. Maybe I can survive this. And the, and the, and the assistant pastor walks by. The third guy comes walking down the road. Verse 32, verse 33, he needs a Samaritan. And when he looked at him, a Samaritan is a half-breed. He's between a half of a Jew, he's half uh, Gentile, and the Jews literally hated them. He, they hated them. And uh, they called them dogs. I mean, they were the scum of all society. And now imagine, here's this Jewish guy, black and blue, on the side of the road, and he sees a Samaritan coming. Two preachers have already passed him by, and he goes, oh no, he's going to finish me off. But the Samaritan looks at him, and he has compassion on him, he poured, he helped, he, he, he bandaged up his wounds, poured wine all over him. That's oil and wine. That's a healing medication. Put him on his donkey, took him to the hotel, gave the hotel manager all the money, said, look, take care of him. And then if there's any more expenses, when I come back, I will reimburse you. And then he said, now, which of these three is the neighbor? Basically, which of these three are really saved? In other words, if you know Christ is your Savior, as your Lord, it's impossible not to have a compassion for the world. And I'd like to share with you three practical ways today that your church, your life, your ministry, your family can be a neighbor. As we look at what God has called us all to be, He's called us to be on mission for Him. Number one, 
Jesus says we're to go and, and make disciples of all nations. We're to win people to Jesus. I'd like to take you to a, an area of the world where my wife, Barbara, I wish she could be here today, but she wouldn't be able to make it. Uh, but where we've been focusing on for the last several years. Right now, after I retired from the IMB. We went to with uh, Pioneer Missions. Dr. Jed is the spiritual counselor. Gary Taylor started that. It's hosted by Union University. And one of the areas of the world that my wife and I have been focusing on is East Africa, around Lake Victoria. And there is comprises of, of Tanzania and Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, and Burundi. And I consider that one of the largest, biggest fishing holes in the whole world when it comes to winning men and women to Christ. And I want to share with you what's going on in just one country particularly called Tanzania. Tanzania is a nation that is really open and, res- and responsive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We went there and we were working in the very northern part around that la- lake called the Lake Zone. It's all Baptist work. And they were dying and they, and they contacted me, the nationals. This is the nationals contacted me. Our missionaries have already left that area. And they left and they said, we're going to die and we need help. And so Barbara and I went there in 2007 and we began to do pioneer evangelism training. And we began to train these pastors and leaders how to go to the villages and start churches. We just were there and we trained over 1,000, almost 800 to start over 500 new churches. They've identified 3,500 villages where we don't have Baptist churches. They're going to go in and plant these churches there. And so we began to train them. Now let me share with you quickly what this is. It's built around the ministry of Jesus. Jesus had two ministries. He had a public ministry where he preached and he taught and he healed. But he had a private ministry. And in his private ministry, here's what he did. He formed a team of 12. He trained his team and he sent them out. And this manual, Pioneer Evangelism Training Manual, teaches them how to train a team of church members and send them out to these unreached villages. As a result of that, since 2007, we have seen in our Baptist work there in northern Tanzania over 25,000 people come to Christ and 25,000 baptisms. You want to put the next slide up if you would. 25,000 baptisms across that nation as we started these churches. I'm sorry, back up one more. And as we started these churches, we started them under these trees. That's the way they start them. And then we've seen over 25,000 people come to Jesus Christ just in that area of the world alone since 2007. The second thing that we need to do in order to fulfill the Great Commission and be a neighbor, I believe the first thing is make disciples. The second thing is what we need to do is train leaders. You know, it's not enough just to start churches. But as we plant these churches, we've got to train other young men and women to lead them, to pastor them, and to guide and direct them. And so we've started over 20 schools all across the entire northern lake zone, and we started training the teachers. We do teacher training. And what we're training the nationals to do is how to be Bible teachers inside the schools. We had over 400 students just in Tanzania alone. And let me ask you a question. If you were going to go to a Bible school or a seminary, would you walk miles from a village to get to the location, to the school, walking? 
And when you get there, there is no bed to sleep on. You must sleep on the floor or you must sleep on the ground. You're going to get bit by mosquitoes and you will get malaria. And there's no chairs to sit in. There's no desk or tables for you to put your books on. And you live in an agricultural society, so there is no money. There is no cash, not even to buy a Bible. That's the conditions that our students study under for three years. To prepare to be a preacher or a pastor of a church that you must start and they will never pay you a salary. And we're also training the women to be leaders of women. And as we travel across the lake zone here this year, earlier this year, God laid it on my heart, said, you know, you can do something about that. And so by faith, we took a step and we started building the Bible schools. And these little Bible schools are going to have slides. They're going to have a dormitory, sleeping quarters. They've got a classroom. And we've received the funds now to build 11 of them. They don't cost very much. But God is really blessing as we train these students because this is the future of the work. And so we started opening up more schools across Kenya and Uganda and, and, and Rwanda. And by the end of the year, we're going to have over 1,500 young men and women in our schools studying the Word of God, training them to be pastors, evangelists, and church leaders across all of Eastern Africa. And then there's the third thing. In order to be able to fulfill the Great Commission and be on mission for God, become a neighbor, number one, I believe, it always begins with making disciples, winning people to Jesus, and secondly, training leaders, and then lastly, showing God's love in a practical way. Showing God's love, you know, preaching, showing God's love in a practical, preaching is not enough in many parts of the world. If a person is starving to death, he can't hear you preach. If their children are dying of diseases, they're not going to listen to you because what are your words without action? I want to take you to the nation of Rwanda. Nation of Rwanda is a little country there around that East African area that we're ministering in. We started there four years ago. About 20 years ago, for some of you who you may remember, there was this genocide where one tribe started one day, got on the radio and started calling the other tribe cockroaches, and they went on a mass murder, and they literally killed, oh, I don't know, 100 or 200 thousand people in the world to sit and watch this happen. And unfortunately, it was one of the world's most tragic things that's ever happened in the world. A man who was married to a woman of another tribe would kill her and would kill his own children. And church members killed their own church members. And pastors killed their own pastors simply because they weren't a part of their own tribe. It was a massacre like you can never see, believe. Today the country is recuperated. And it is literally clean and beautiful and one of the most 
secure and safe countries I've ever been in. You can walk down the streets of Rwanda, Africa at midnight with a $100 bill on your ear and no one will bother you. But poverty still exists. And we went into Rwanda four years ago and there was a young man there named Justin and his wife, Anne. And he learned the strategy of pioneer evangelism. And Justin had been put in prison because he began to win people of other faiths. He had a church. He had a building. He had property. And yet, some of the religious leaders got angry, went to the police, had him put in jail. When we met him four years ago, he was down to 12 people. He invited Barbara and I to go to his little house, a little dark house, for dinner. And we sit there and we listen to his story. And Justin said... They call me Thomas overseas. The reason they do is my middle name is Wade. And when I went to Brazil, they pronounced in Portuguese the W like a V and the D like a G. And I did not want to be called Waji all of my life or Waji all of my life. So I used my first name overseas. So I'm known all over the world as Pastor Thomas. So he said, Pastor Thomas, this is what's happened. We're down to 12 people. And I said, that's exactly what Jesus did. He started with 12. He formed this team and he trained them and he began to send them out. And he began to go out and what we teach them to do is start what we call good news groups in the homes of non-Christians. And they teach the story of Jesus from the book of Matthew, from his birth to his resurrection. And they gradually teach them what it means to become a disciple and how to be saved. And so he trained his 12 and he started going out began to minister and start these little good groups, good news groups. And he started what we call house churches because he had no money. He'd already lost his building, his property and everything. So he started these little good news groups. Now, as a big problem in Africa is waterborne diseases because of drinking dirty water. The little kids there suffer all kinds of parasites and diseases because they go to the ponds and the rivers and they drink this filthy water that's filled with all kinds of diseases and it makes them sick and die. If you get sick out there, there is no health care insurance that's going to take care of you. There's no such thing as Medicare and Medicaid. There's no government mandate that they must treat you at a hospital. I don't care how sick you are. If you're poor and you do not have the money, you just die. If you're hungry, there's no such thing as food stamps. So you can go to the store and get free food. If you want your children to have an education, there will be no buses to come and pick you up and take your kids to school. There will be no meals there for them to eat. And in many of the schools, there's no drinking water or clean water for your child to drink while they're studying. If you need a place to live, there's no such thing as free government housing if you are poor. These are the realities of life out there where we work. And so our ministry in Pioneer Missions is trying to address some of these issues so we can be a neighbor and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, make disciples, and plant churches. Well, what's happened? We've seen what we've done is we have a little ministry called the water filter ministry. For $70, we can buy a water filter. Or they they make them. 
They buy them and they make them and they take them out and they give them to the poorest of the poor. And these are people who are not believers. And they go into these areas and they provide a water filter so the people can drink clean water, the children can have clean water, clear up a lot of these diseases, and then they start the good news groups. What's happened as a result of that? Well, let me introduce you to a young man named Augustine. Augustine had no hope in life. He used drugs. He had no peace. A filter was given to him and his family because he lived in an area where there's 99% of the community drink dirty water. They began a good news lessons in his home. And as he began to hear about Jesus, he got saved. He gave his heart to Christ. He was baptized along with his wife on the same day. And today, Augustine is a Bible teacher. He's a church planner. He's an evangelist. He's one of our water filter technicians. He has started 32 new house churches, and he alone has baptized over 875 converts to Christ. And he started 10 of our pioneer evangelism missions, Bible schools across the nation of Rwanda. Let me introduce you to Eugenia. Eugenia was and her family, her, she was deserted by her husband, and she was left with three children with no food to eat. One of our evangelists that visited her opened up a little home of the good news studies in her home. After seven lessons, these are seven lessons, she heard the whole story of Jesus and what it means to follow him. She received Christ and was baptized. And this lady is on fire. She got her, we gave her a water, they got her a little water filter for her family and all the neighbors. They can drink clean water. But through Eugenia, they've started more, nine more house churches and they've started, they baptized 134 people. And some of them are Muslims who are coming to Christ all because of a little water filter that opened up the door. As a result, the young man, Justin, and his wife, Ann, that I told you about, in four years, this is hard to believe, but you could go there and see it. It's really incredible story. He has grown from 12 people. As he trained them and sent them out and started these good news groups and trained others and sent them out and started more, he's now got 180 house churches across the nation of Rwanda, Churches in every district, all 38 districts of the nation. And he is now baptized in four years. 4,400 baptized members of his church. One of the ladies that was one to Christ was a Muslim lady. You've been hearing a lot about Islam lately. I know a lot about that religion. I teach a course on Islam at Union University, our Baptist University in Jackson. How to win Muslims to Christ. And in Islam, if you convert, you die. That's what they say. That's their doctrine. That's what Muhammad taught. And so it's very tough for a Muslim in many parts of the world where they don't have the freedom that we have in America to convert their lives over to Jesus because it could mean the end of their life. There was a young woman 
who gave her life to Jesus. They started a good news group in her home and she received Christ. Her husband, of course, didn't like it and so he threw her out of the house. But after a while, he realized he couldn't function without his wife. He had his children. So he asked her to come back. And one of the most beautiful testimonies I've ever heard in all of my 46 years of being a missionary in over six to seven nations of the world was said by this lady when he said to her, Why are you a Christian? Why don't you come back to Islam? And she said, well, you know when you get malaria, which is a deadly disease if you don't get the medicine, you have to take medicine to get rid of the malaria. And she said, you know, Jesus is like that. We have a disease called sin. And Jesus came into my heart and forgave me and cleansed me of all of my sin and gave me eternal life. And she said, I want to ask you a question, husband. She said, when you take that medicine and it gets into your bloodstream, is it possible to get it out? And he said, of course not. And she said, that's the way it is with Jesus. Once you receive Him, He gets into your life He radically changes your heart. He forgives you of your sins and you have eternal life. And it's impossible to get Him out. The Gospel of Jesus Christ is a revolutionary Gospel. It has the power to radically change people's lives. Because Jesus Christ died for our sins and He was buried and He rose from the dead on the third day and He's alive right now. And He wants to live in your heart if you don't know Him. And once you you are saved, once you really know Him, once He's really changed your life, I can promise you He will set you on a mission. It's a God-given mission. To start here at home and be on mission to make disciples starting where you are. And then to our own nation, to our Jerusalem, and to our Judea, and to our Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the whole world. God has given us all a commandment to reach our home and to reach our world. And you know, it does not require a talented person to do this. It doesn't require a smart person. It does not require a rich person. It does not require a superstar. It requires what Dr. Aiden Rogers said at Bellevue Baptist Church. He requires you to surrender all that you know of yourself to all you know of Him. Total surrender. You sell out to Jesus Christ. And when you do that, I can promise you God will anoint you. He will bless you. He'll give you a power and a peace in your life that you've never known because you will become a world mission Christian on mission for God. For some of you, that may mean you're going to be a prayer warrior. You'll never leave home. I thank God for you. I could tell you some hair-raising stories of how my own life has been saved because of prayer. For others of you, it means that you're going to be a donor, a contributor to this local church. 
who supports and turn missions around the world. And for some of you, it means you'll go on a mission trip. You'll be a volunteer to go to Brazil or go wherever. And for some of you, it may mean giving up your job and going around the world and becoming a missionary. I had a young man in Memphis a couple of years ago, and he said, why do we need to go to Tanzania? We've got all these problems here in Memphis. I said, well, you go because God said to go. When you start putting limits on God, then you've got a little issue with God. Yes, we need to go to Memphis, Nashville. But we need to remember, God loves the world. And there are many parts of the world that have no gospel, no one telling them. And they are in desperate shape. And this young man went to Tanzania with us on a volunteer trip. And God changed his life. In fact, you know what he did? He came home and quit his job and moved to Tanzania. And he lived in a mud hut. Lived with the nationals. Making disciples and preaching the gospel. He came back last week after being there two and a half years. He said, I'm going to surrender all to Jesus. I'm not going to put any conditions on Him. Any limits on Him. I want God to use me where I am and be on mission for Him wherever He calls. And I want to ask you today a question as I close out. Of these three in the story, which are you? Really look at your heart and examine that. Which one of these are you? Are you the priest? Are you the Levite? Are you the Samaritan? Jesus is saying, if you know me, him, you will be on mission to reach the world for Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed all over the house. I wonder today if there's someone here who says, you know, I need Jesus. What do I do? Number one, you realize you can't save yourself. Number two, you realize that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead and He's the only Savior. Three, you trust Him by giving Him your life. How do you do that? By faith you can pray and ask Christ to come into your heart right now. Wherever you sit. Prayer doesn't save. It's Jesus that saves. Now I know that most all of you, maybe every one of you, have Christ in your life. You're saved. But I want you to look deep in your heart. Deep down. Are you really on mission for God? Have you put limits on Him? Conditions? Look in your heart and will you pray, Oh God, make me a missionary. At one level or another, I surrender all I know of myself to all I know of you. And wherever you lead, I'll go. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's quietly stand. If you'd like to move your membership to this wonderful church, now's the time. You come. You want to surrender your life to Christ or you prayed and you asked Jesus in your heart. You want to publicly confess Him. 
Now is the time as we sing a hymn of invitation and God speaks in our hearts.